the book of Exodus. And last time we read chapter 24, when the people saw the God of Israel, that is the elders. And chapter 25 begins the construction of the tabernacle. And God setting up the furniture that pertains to the tabernacle and court in chapters 25 to 27. And then we'll move on to learning about the priestly ministry. And then back to the tabernacle in chapter 30. About some other items that belong there. But for now, we begin with the, the structure and God's instructions. It begins with the materials. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering. God is the one that says, The cattle on a thousand hills is mine. All the silver and the gold is mine. I don't need anything. And so God says, what house will you build me? Even to David. They were well aware that God didn't need a house. He dwells in the heavens. And his presence is everywhere. But he purposefully instructed them to build a tabernacle because he was going to meet with them. It wasn't a tent for them to live in, but it was a place of worship and coming near to the living God. God, the great I Am, wanted to come and be with his people. And we see that's the plan all along. He walked in the cool of the evening he met and fellowship the living God fellowshiped with our first human parents. And they lost that fellowship. They were dismissed from the place of fellowship, the Garden of Eden. And it took a few thousand years before he can reestablish tabernacling with man. Now he had visited and spoken to Adam and Eve. He had spoken to even Cain after Abel. The Lord had fellowship with Enoch. Enoch walked with God. There was intimate fellowship. And then he went to be with God. God took him. God spoke and fellowshiped with Noah he spoke, had fellowship with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But to have a place where he walked, a regular place, or a regular meeting place, other than the altars, which God would respect and accept the offerings and have that kind of fellowship, and occasionally come down, such as when he came down to speak with Abraham. 
concerning the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. He came and spoke to him. And then he left once the conversation was over. But to have that place, it took a few thousand years until about 1445 B.C. when the specific instructions for the building of the tabernacle were given to Moses and uh, people were chosen to be a part of the building project of this great meeting place with God. That's what the tabernacle is about. A place where God would come and meet with man. He met with Moses, who was an intercessor. Moses' brother, Aaron, the first high priest, and his sons were also intercessors, but not like Moses. In this tabernacle, in the office that Moses occupied as a prophet and priest, along with the tabernacle, along with the high priestly office of Aaron, were all a foreshadow of the tabernacle of God in human flesh to Lord Jesus Christ and his priestly ministry, high priestly ministry. In the future, ultimate tabernacling of God, dwelling of God with man, we see in the book of Revelation when he will dwell with us forevermore. We will be so near to him. He'll be right there. Never ever to be separated from God. Hallelujah. How great and good God is. The whole purpose of the revelation in Scripture. The revelation of all of Scripture. God loved us. God loved the human race. He loved Adam and Eve. The contamination, the defilement, rebellion, independence from God caused all kinds of misery, just like we see today. We don't necessarily have to go to a broken down tenement building somewhere in the Lower East Side of Manhattan or in the Bronx somewhere or in Brooklyn or certain parts of Staten Island. Everywhere you look, there's always an area where people recognize instantly there's a place that is broken down. Well, broken down places also have broken lives, broken people. And yet, we can see broken lives and broken hearts all over the place. They can be in a fancy, luxurious house or some building, some lofty building, even a skyscraper. You have exclusive access and ownership of some apartment that costs maybe $1.5 million. Who knows? still be lonely and broken, shattered because of this thing called sin. And that thing continued to distance us and separate us from God. God in his good, wonderful heart always meant to restore that relationship that we messed up. And so he comes to us and the Spirit of God comes to us, comforts us, reveals Christ to us regenerates us when we receive him and God dwells with us again John 14.23 if a man loved me or loves me he will keep my words 
My father will love him. And we will come and tabernacle with that person. We have many different cases and instances and fulfillment of God's ultimate dwelling with us and tabernacling with us. God wants us to reconcile with him. And so we're here in the primitive era, so to speak, of the ancient Israelite nation and their formation. God-giving materials. With this backdrop, you see that God is very purposeful. Every one of these things have meaning and many studies have been done on this regarding the colors, the types of material. We can go into it in great detail, but we need an overview and we need to read the text. I'd like to give someone the opportunity to read Exodus 25, 1-9 as we hear the word of God concerning the construction the materials and the invitation of God to people, a royal invitation to bring offerings. What a privilege. We think about some dignitary or some so-called star. Suppose you made something, you drew a card or you fabricated some material, some object and not a common person but this rather royal person would buy your creation or your project. How privileged we would be. And many, many people, restaurant owners, clothing manufacturers, big companies, they give their products that they would normally sell for a great price to people who are famous because of the association. The most famous person, the most high God, the almighty God, sends us an invitation to bring an offering. This is what happened. Someone please read Exodus 25, 1, 2, 9. Exodus 25, verses 1 to 9, NLT version. The Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to bring me their sacred offerings. Accept the contributions from all whose hearts are moved to offer them. Here is a list of sacred offerings you may accept from them. Gold, silver and bronze, blue, purple and scarlet thread, fine linen and goat hair for cloth, tanned ram skin and fine goat skin leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the lamp, spices for the anointing oil and the fragrant incense, onyx stones and other gemstones to be set in the ephod and the priest's chest piece. Have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so I can live among them. 
You must build this tabernacle and its furnishings exactly according to the pattern I will show you. Praise God. Praise God. Immediately we see God calls them to bring what they have, not what they don't have. These things are physical materials that we're familiar with, at least some of them. Gold and silver and bronze, blue, purple, scarlet thread, fine linen, goat's hair, ram skins dyed red. There's a purpose. God was making things apparent to them. These are the materials to construct the outer covering of the tabernacle and he said it straight away in verse 2 or verse 8 about the dwelling place and from verse 2 he gives the instructions my offering he calls it and the people that are to bring it are the ones who give it willingly from the heart not grudgingly what the Lord says in the New Testament is captured right here God never wants any offering that is given grudgingly it must be given from the heart God loves a cheerful giver Furthermore, we see that God gives us an invitation to bring what we have and what we know. He's a good God. And that which is brought becomes hallowed, H-A-L-L-O-W-E-D, or sanctified because it has been brought and becomes whose offering? God's offering. He says, take my offering. It's given to the Lord. And all of a sudden, it's used for a supernatural purpose. Hallelujah. And so everything we do and everything we make, create, everything we possess that we bring to God becomes hallowed and sanctified, set apart. And God can do something supernatural with it. It's very important to know that the living God doesn't come to us coercing us to bring and produce something we cannot or do not possess. By His grace, all that He requires, we can fulfill. He's such a good God. He doesn't oppress anyone. He's a good God. He's a wonderful God. He gives us a royal invitation, gives us grace, and gives us the material. After all, where did they get the gold, silver, and bronze? It's written that they came away from Egypt with a great spoil. And out of what they got, they were able to provide also materials for the building of the tabernacle. Everything was organized and planned by God. And the people simply had to follow along. That's the great, glorious, gracious role that we had to play. Just follow along. 
They had to come. Understand, it's very important to read the scriptures and see the connections and how God has a plan that continuously goes through with no deviation. And as we mentioned about tabernacling with man, Genesis, you see several characters. Exodus, the building of the tabernacle, the furnishing of the materials, the invitation to bring the materials. Then we see the Lord Jesus himself, God himself coming in the flesh, dwelling with man. And he calls his body a temple. There was a physical temple in Jerusalem, but then our bodies are called temples. And collectively, as the church, we are called a temple. And then God will come, become our temple. We will dwell with him forevermore. How marvelous the grand design of God Almighty. Who can ever think of such things and how God fulfills it? Because he loves us so much. He's the Almighty God. And these materials were given to them from God. They got it from the Egyptians, but God created them. And he took it out of the hands of the heathen and gave it to his people. And the people that were oppressed and in slavery came out with the great spoil. And they are given opportunity. It reminds us of how God created all the creatures on planet Earth and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. God is the ultimate father. He's the greatest, gentle and loving, majestic, noble, giving us the opportunity to always have a share in his great plan and purpose. And so they bring the gold, the silver, the bronze, the blue, purple, scarlet thread, fine linen, goat's hair. These are materials to functionally protect the inner sanctuary from the elements, as well as God's design. Ram's skins dyed red. You have various colors in badger skins, acacia wood, oil for the light. The symbolism there, a light that will be burning all the time. The presence of God, the Holy Spirit, and spices for the anointing oil. There's an aroma, and there was a, a formula to make the aromatic oils which God commanded nobody should reproduce that because that itself is sacred and these precious stones the sweet incense the onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate breastplate of the high priest Everything elaborately provided, the instructions clearly communicated. And the purpose is the beginning of it, the building. And he tells them at the beginning stage, let the people that bring willingly the offering, my offering, let the children of Israel, the children of Israel, the children of Jacob, 
let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. According to all that I show you, that is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings, just so you shall make it. Just as I told you. This tabernacle was overseen by Moses. We are called the tabernacle of God. In Hebrews 3, 6, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope, that means a living faith, firm to the end. Only a person who has a genuine, living, active faith will be eagerly looking for our heavenly bridegroom, the Son of God, to come back. That person will not beat the other servants or the people they're supposed to feed and take care of. They won't get drunk and be irresponsible and wicked. The people that are eagerly waiting for God to return are the people who really are his house, his building, his temple. Because they show by faith or by their confidence and rejoicing that they have genuine faith and vice versa. But also it's written in the book of Hebrews that the building of the sacred place was to be constructed exactly as God commanded there was a pattern and God said you must make it according to the pattern that I show you in Hebrews 8 verse 5 it's written those priests that were instituted by God, they serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. So, the construction of this tabernacle on earth in the desert is a copy of something that really exists in heaven. It's a copy. It's a foreshadow. Or a shadow, rather. In, in Hebrews 8, 5, it's written, This is why Moses was warned. He was charged by God. When he was about to build the tabernacle, God made it clear, See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. In other words, these materials were not provided with uh, some general instructions and a general diagram where Moses could fill in the blank, so to speak. Or the children of Israel, according to their creativity and desire, they can begin to exercise latitude in how they would like it to appear. They can customize it. No such thing was to happen. Why? Because 
there's a copy of this in heaven or this is a copy of what really is in heaven God was giving a heavenly construction plan to the people and so the revelation continues as God gives them the instructions and he watches over it and has Moses as his foreman so to speak to watch over it the Lord says make it exactly not only the tabernacle the structure of the building but the furnishings as we'll see the first thing he mentions is actually the focal point of his presence and that is the ark what is known as the ark of the covenant Exodus chapter 25 verses 10 down to verse 22 someone can read those verses Exodus 25 10 to 22 Exodus 25 um, 10 and they shall make an ark of Acadia wood two and a half cubits shall be its length a cubit and a half its width and a cubit and a half its height and you shall overlay it with pure gold inside and out you shall overlay it and shall make on it a molding of gold all around you shall cast four rings of gold for it and put them in its four corners two rings shall be on one side and two rings shall be on the other and you shall make poles of arcadia wood and overlay them with gold you shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark that the ark may be carried by them the poles shall be in the rings of the ark and they shall not be taken from it and you shall put into the ark the testimony which i will give you you shall make a mercy seat of pure gold two and a half cubits shall be its length and a cubit and a half its its width and you shall make two cherubim of gold of hammered work you shall make them at the two ends of the mercy seat make one cherub at one end and the other cherub at the other end you shall make the cherubim at the two ends of it of one piece with the mercy seat and the cherubim shall stretch out their wings above covering the mercy seat with their wings and they shall face one another the faces of the cherubim shall be toward the mercy seat you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark and in the ark you shall put the testimony that i will give you and there i will meet with you and i will speak with you from above the mercy seat from between the two cherubim which are on the ark of the testimony about everything which i will give you in commandment to the children of israel you shall also I'm sorry pastor did you say 25 Actually Jody um it was up to 22 but 
that's fine. Oh, my apologies. No, no problem. So, so the description of the ark ends with uh, verse 22. And as uh, Jody is reading, this ark was made of a material called acacia wood. And approximately, it was a little over four feet long from 52 inches and then 31 by 31 inches wide and high. And within this, inside and outside, God said, put the gold over it, overlay it. Gold, of course, speaks of royalty, most precious metal, especially of that day. And this was the king. And this particular furniture in the most holy place, the Holy of Holies, the lid was the mercy seat, which was the place where God's presence would be between the two cherubims that were made. And the Lord gave instructions about the poles and the rings and how to carry it. And later on in Israel's history, you'll see how people who are not supposed to touch it, they died. And also people who did not carry properly, they were under divine chastisement as well. Everything is laid out so clearly. Think about a teacher that has classroom management skills and they have a protocol to give certain rules, not only to keep order because of noise pollution or children getting distracted, but for safety. And so they have fire drills and certain things and certain lockdown measures in emergency situations. The children have to be trained. And there are some steps in for the personnel, the staff, that they have to follow as a community, a school community, for the safety of the whole place, all the people. And no one would think it is unjust to meet out punishment and demand answers from one who violates that, especially the one who violates the protocol, protocol for the safety measures and the procedures, if human life is lost on account of their failure to follow the prescribed steps to get everyone to safety or to maintain safety. Human beings can make mistakes. They can have things that are drafted that are vague. They can misplace the instructions. So many things can happen. With God, he gave it very clearly and for all to see and hear. And yet you see in Israel's history, 
periods where they did not pay attention. Where they knew it and they still violated it. Where they thought they could modify God's law and adjust it to their own liking and to their own situation. The pattern for the building of the tabernacle and all the furnishings is a pattern for our lives to be directed toward the purpose for the tabernacle which was because of God's presence inhabiting it it led to worship and our lives with a born again spirit new man on the inside are given a set of commandments divine protocol to keep the place safe inhabitable by God with the ability availability and readiness to worship God and that's why Immorality is wrong. It's a violation of the very purpose God gave us bodies and minds and wills and hearts. It completely removes the entire plan of God for our lives, especially when we're born again. In Ephesians 5.3 it says, But don't let fornication or covetousness, or any uncleanness be named among you as becometh saints. Because the purpose for the body, the will, the mind, the entire human being, is to worship God. And these things come and defile and take away that purpose and make that sanctuary no longer a sanctuary. And then Ephesians 5 continues neither let there be filthiness or foolish talking or jesting which are not convenient that means they're not appropriate but rather giving of thanks an attitude of praise and worship this will make our tabernacle our temple our sanctuary under the exact leading of the Holy Spirit with the instructions a place that's fit for God's presence this tabernacle was the foreshadow of the temple that was built under Solomon's reign. David, having provided all, King David, having provided all the materials. But then there was a point at which God left the temple because they brought in foreign things, foreign to heaven's principles and defiled the place. Notice with our human lives, we're not free agents to do whatever we'd like. Because, number one, we don't have the wisdom. And also, when we get born again, we belong to another. To the God who owns us. Spirit, soul, and body. Gladly, his possessions. Gladly, his children. So everything here, from the dimensions to the material to the way it's supposed to be made, the functionality, 
the way it's supposed to be handled, meticulous instructions were given by God to Moses and through Moses to the children of Israel. And it's a mirror of the instructions that we receive because we become true tabernacles, temples of the Holy Spirit, of God. God's Spirit, God's presence as born-again people, as we heard last evening. Anywhere we go, we're carrying the presence of God. We don't have an ark with staves going through the rings, the four corners, to lift up and carry everywhere we go, telling the world we're Christians. But we become the temple with the ark being our very hearts where God inhabits the presence or his presence inhabits us. Inhabits us. So we are carrying God's presence as we've seen in other countries even today and definitely in years gone by, especially in ancient times, people would be carrying people on this carriage. No wheels, no animals, but they would carry. Perhaps if it was royalty, four men would carry, having a portion of the staves upon their shoulder, carefully holding those staves. And that so-called dignitary, whoever it is, whoever it is, would be sitting inside and lifted up from the ground and transported. Four men walking underneath that carriage. We're carrying the presence of God. And so every place we go, no matter where we are, whether in a church building or in a fellowship, in a time of worship, corporate worship, or time of private worship, every casual and quote-unquote menial task and place where those tasks are performed, we are carrying the presence of Almighty God. The instructions are given. I beseech you, brethren, therefore, by the mercies of God, Romans 12, 1, 2, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable act of service slash worship. Don't be conformed to the old pattern of the world but be renewed in your mind. We have a new set of principles to live by. Isn't it exciting? How wonderful. They were called to be God's tabernacles, where each of us temples slash tabernacles for the living God. So on the one hand, someone's motivation and their sense of Nobility can be fueled by telling them that you are royalty, you're a prince or a princess. And the favor accorded with that title and the position can make a person behave differently, think differently. But when we are given the truth, 
that we are carrying the presence of Almighty God. What? Don't you know that your bodies are the temple or tabernacles of the living God? You're not your own. You're bought with a price. Your mouth, your hands, your feet, your eyes, your ears. Entire being caught up with the holy presence of God. Imagine if people would understand that and dedicate themselves to be sanctuaries inhabitable by the presence of God. And everywhere we go, that godly fear and understanding goes with us. We'd have a holy people. We'd have people that would spread the holiness of God. Within this ark was to be the tablets of the covenant law which God is going to give them. Verse 16. And we have the word of God within us. We're tabernacles. The most holy place within us, our hearts. And there, the ark of the covenant, the very presence of God with the word of God. The Bible says in the New Testament, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. To born-again people it's written, where we are called to be responsible stewards and humble, adoring servants. Understanding the high privilege of holding that treasure called the Word of God, hiding it in our hearts, setting apart the Lord as God, sanctifying Him in our hearts. Knowing that God is living within us and we have got to have the Word there's no such thing as imagining that God is with me in worship and have all kinds of music and say that I'm spiritual and I can psych myself into experiences, write them in a book or tell stories about it. But the real experience and connection, divine connection with God is born out of B-O-R-N-E and B-O-R-N the word of God dwelling in us richly. Once again in John's Gospel chapter 14 and 15 we see God comes near and lives with people who treasure his word and keep it. The keeping of God's word is not burying it, burying it deep inside and meditating on it only. But the end result is the action of obeying that word. That's how God knows. And we prove that the word of Christ is dwelling in us richly. And that's the only way God will dwell within us. The word was in that ark. God is the word. In the beginning was the word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. Verse 17, Make an atonement cover of pure gold. We have an introduction of this theme that will run throughout from Exodus down to Revelation and for eternity. So many things are introduced here. Genesis is the book of new beginnings. Many firsts, as we studied before. The creation of the world heavens, 
the first human beings and creatures and plant life, the solar system. the institution of marriage unfortunately the first corruption first rebellion the first murder all kinds of evil along with it and in Exodus we have the introduction of that pattern of a tabernacle that's in heaven we didn't see that in Genesis and here we see we've seen the parallel of the temple, the sanctuary, the ark and the covenant, the word of God. We also see the introduction of atonement. Atonement. This word that has to do with an intercession. An intercession on God's part to show mercy and so it's called a mercy seat this cover that go on top of this box that's overlaid with gold on which would be two cherubims one cherub on one end and another cherub on the other end these heavenly creatures these angelic beings God says my presence will be right there on the mercy seat Jesus Christ the high priest intercedes for us the Lord Jesus Christ paid with his blood for our ransom our deliverance the Lord Jesus Christ presented all that was required through the shedding of his blood in heaven to satisfy the requirement for our deliverance God introduces this concept of atonement and we see to what length he goes to make sure Israel understands it's going to take God and his mercy to fix our problems it was his mercy that took them out of Egypt and it's his mercy that preserves them in the wilderness but it's also his mercy to bring them into the promised land which in our case is the heavenly Canaan it takes his mercy and so we forever sing of his mercy even in Revelation you see the heavenly song glorifying God for his mercy 
the preparation here, it seems as if there's a construction going on and certain things God wants done. Everything has a purpose and meaning. Everything is functional in the present and foreshadows the ultimate antitype. Mercy. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two and a half cubits shall be its length and a cubit and a half its width. As we said, it wasn't a huge structure, but it was enough to contain the testimony or the covenant, the tablets containing God's law or God's word. And the cherubim were to be made out of hammered gold. And we've heard the rest of the details. And specifically, the significance is, God says in verse 22, that's where I'm going to meet you. God Almighty, the God whom the heavens cannot contain, is going to come into this structure called the tabernacle, and outside it, outside of it, called the courtyard. The structure that wasn't very big, but it was enough to have a portable sanctuary for the children of Israel to be able to set up and to take down and set up again wherever they went. And this tabernacle was 30 by 10 by 10 cubits. Or approximately 45 by 15 by 15 feet. And within the tabernacle is two divisions. Holy place and most holy place. Or the holy of holies. Holy place, 20 by 10 by 10, or 30 by 15 by 15. And then the Holy of Holies, 10 by 10 by 10, or 15 feet cube. I should say, thrice. And then the furnishings, the furniture within it. Every part of it, a cubit being a, uh, 1.5 feet, roughly. And every part of it, the furniture that was involved, that we'll read about. You had first the Ark of the Covenant. And you also had five other pieces. You had outside something called the Brazen Altar where the sacrifices were made, and then the laver, where they would wash, still not entering into the tabernacle, but in the courtyard. And then coming into the tabernacle, in the holy place, not the most holy place, where the Ark of the Covenant is, but the holy place had a table of, what was known as the showbread. And then the golden candlestick and altar of incense. 
And finally, in the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant. This Ark of the Covenant is what God speaks of first. The first furniture that is inside this tabernacle. Again, we see God stating the purpose clearly. I want you to make a sanctuary for me. And then I'm going to meet you right here. So he's working from the inside out, so to speak. Getting right to the heart of the matter, quite literally. Because God is interested in meeting with us and fellowshipping with us, cleansing us, showing mercy. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and plenteous or plentiful in mercy. So many things we can see right here at the beginning. And that's just the beginning of the building of the tabernacle. And after he discusses and gives the instructions for the cover and tells the Israelites through Moses expressly that I will meet with you. Right there. My presence will be at the mercy seat between the cherubim. These angelic beings, these creatures of heaven were to face each other. And we can imagine though not knowing precisely how they looked. Many artists have given their rendering. And it's rather tragic to see even our youngest son Joseph is uh, rather shocked to see artists' rendering of the cherubim. With a portrayal of some nakedness. A similitude of a human being. Even the artists of the so-called Renaissance period and artists down the centuries show their corrupt minds no matter how famous they have become for some rather beautiful works of art. When it comes to God and the things of heaven and biblical themes, you see the corrupt human imagination not unlike those things we see in Greek and Roman sculptures. To bring out the element in the name of beauty and worshipping human beauty and physiology, anatomy. Show that which was covered in the Garden of Eden through the fall. And so, Corrupt people have depicted the cherubim with a partial similitude of human nakedness. How evil and blasphemous is the heavenly creatures. 
need to be very careful. That said to them, see to it that you do it exactly, you make it exactly according to the pattern I show you. Certainly there's a reverence and holiness and fear that went along with that, to do it exactly like he said. Now, how can we who don't know exactly how some of these things looked, humanity down the ages, bring in corruptible human imagination to defile it? Every video, every movie, every depiction of Christ, of angels, anything in the Bible, to be very careful with the creativity and the talents God has given to make sure we don't introduce any foolishness and blasphemous notions in the name of artistic expression. God will hold every person accountable. Whoever takes his name in vain, which includes misrepresenting him, his honor, his glory, and all that he has made glorious. These cherubims are to face each other looking toward the cover. Place the cover of the lid on top of the ark and put in the ark the tablets of the covenant law that I will give you. There above the cover between the two cherubim that are over the ark of the covenant law, I will meet with you and give you all my commands for the Israelites. May the Lord give us understanding and help us to retain the reverence we need and convey it to our generations, to everyone, and stand against every blasphemous depiction of our living God and of heavenly creatures and all he reveals. We have to remember he's holy. And everything here reveals his holiness. Next he speaks about the table. We will conclude shortly. We have the table, the lampstand, for the rest of chapter 25. And as I said, a few chapters devoted to the tabernacle and furnishings. And then there's an interlude about the priestly ministry. And then we come back to the rest of the tabernacle. But someone can read the rest of the chapter from verse 23 down to verse 40. Exodus 25, 23 to 40. Then make a table of acacia wood, 36 inches long, 18 inches wide, and 27 inches high. Overlay it with gold and run a gold molding around the edge. Decorate it with a 3-inch border all around and run a gold molding along the border. Make four gold rings for the table and attach them at the four corners next to the four legs. Attach the rings near the border to hold the poles that are used to carry the table. Make these poles from acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Make special containers of pure gold for the table, bowls, ladles, pitches, and jars to be used in pouring out liquid offerings. Place the bread of the presence on the table to remain before me at all times. Make a lampstand of pure hammered gold. Make the entire lampstand and its decorations of one piece, the base, center stem, lamp cups, buds, and petals. 
make it with six branches going out from the center stem, three on each side. Each of the six branches will have three lamp cups shaped like almond blossoms, complete with buds and petals. Craft the center stems of the lampstands with four lamp cups shaped like almond blossoms, complete with buds and petals. There will also be an almond bud beneath each pair of branches where the six branches extend from the center stem. The almond buds and branches must all be of one piece with the center stem, and they must be hammered from pure gold. Then make the seven lamps for the lampstands and set them so they reflect their light for it. The lamps, snuffer, and trays must also be made of pure gold. You will need 75 pounds of pure gold for the lamp stand and its accessories. Be sure that you make everything according to the pattern I have shown you here on the mountain. Amen. 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 You see the great artist, the great architect, the Almighty God who made the heavens, who made all the planets, all of the rings around the planets, all of the moons that surround the planets, all of the stars. And he's interested and he has planned out that a physical structure of animal skins and gold and certain stones should make up this sanctuary composed of three parts this tabernacle I should say the whole area the outer court or the courtyard and then the structure itself the holy place and then the most holy place or holy of holies which some have drawn a parallel to say that the courtyard stands for the body and the holy place for the soul and the most holy place for the spirit. There's a progression to go to meet God. Not anyone can go to that altar and handle it. The priests had to be there to meet the people. They had to take the sacrificial offerings and stand there as a mediator or intermediary for the people, between the people and God. And then they had to wash and they had to enter in with great fear and rejoicing for the privilege to go into the holy place. And then, of course, the high priest once a year would able, be able to go into the most holy place. The Almighty God. And here, as we just heard read, so intricately, intricately he, he describes the kind of artistry and craftsmanship to the point where 
God Almighty, the sovereign of the universe, says, make a lampstand of pure gold. Hammer out its base and shaft and make its flower-like cups, buds, and blossoms of one piece with them. How beautiful. And yet everything has a function and a purpose and it's a foreshadow. The Jewish menorah with the branches. You see the origin in verse 32. Six branches are to extend from the sides of the lampstand. Three on the one side and three on the other. Three cups shaped like almond flowers with buds and blossoms are to be on one branch. Three on the next branch and the same for all six branches extending from the lampstand and so on with the cups and the other buds and all hammered out with gold, pure gold, beaten gold. The Lord speaks about seven lamps and oil and so on and he says, see that you make them according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. The Holy Spirit, it is said, is symbolized by the oil that goes into that lampstand, into the branches to produce the light. The bread inside that we'll see later also represents the heavenly bread. Christ. Here it's called the bread of the presence. But as you go through the scriptures we see the meanings of these various furnishings. And there would be we'll see 12 loaves of bread, one for each tribe. Freshly baked and put on the table. There's a job for the priest to make sure the oil was there, the lamp was lit, the altar of incense had the incense and the protocol that they followed and the bread very reverently day and night this place where God's presence was. They knew. On the mercy seat inside behind the veil, there was that veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place. They were coming near. We can be sure that they trembled, but they did their work with rejoicing, with faith. We can approach God right to the mercy seat, but with trembling with godly fear and faith that never changes. That's why in the book of Hebrews it says we ought to serve God with reverence. Serve Him acceptably with reverence and awe. Hebrews twelve twenty-eight. For our God is a consuming fire. We have to put everything together and the Holy Spirit helps us to tie everything together to understand 
that this is a profound beginning of God's tabernacling with man through this physical structure where his supernatural presence and Shekinah glory would be. At the same time, step by step, they had to approach from the court to the priest and the priest carry the sacrifice, so to speak, before the Lord and offer it. And they had to make sure they were sanctified and they had a sacrifice for themselves too because they were sinners also. Though consecrated, they needed the atonement. All was the foreshadow of the Lamb of God coming and atoning for our souls with His precious blood. The preparation, the presentation, the purification, all of it is contained in God's law for us as believers. And you see how it played out from the beginning in the building of the very first physical dwelling place for God called the tabernacle, which eventually would lead to the building of the temple with slightly different dimensions. I should say different dimensions. And we have seen the connection of the temple. Our bodies, our souls, our very hearts that we are carrying the presence of God. That should make us, Lord willing, be even more aware, more careful, that the God that we're carrying within us, the real God, not some idol in our pockets, the presence of Almighty God who is within us, that he is pleased with everything we think, say, and do. And that everybody around us knows, not by some artifact that we wear, or by something we carry externally, but by the manifestation of his presence through our speech, and through our behavior, and through the things we laugh at, and with the, through the things we do not laugh at, and by the sobriety. We live in a comical world and God has created the gift of laughter and joy. But we need to make sure that it doesn't go into a carnal realm whereby the temple will be defiled. No one can say that the priest or the high priest never laughed. But they certainly didn't do it inside the sanctuary. And there's a calling for us as priests of the living God. At once we are the temples of God, the sanctuaries, the tabernacles, and also we are ministering before the God of the sanctuary. So we're not simply carrying the presence, but there's a ministry or service to God by our consecration in our speech, our actions, our thoughts. All of this will prepare us for God coming down and tabernacling with us, us going to be with Him forever and ever. As we often say, the transition 
would be seamless. For the one whose spirit, soul, and body is kept blameless at his appearing. Glory be to God. Shall we pray? Father in heaven, we thank you. Lord, I pray that the eternal truths, Lord, gathered from your word would make such an impression on us, Lord, by the Spirit of God, that there would be a transformation, a greater consecration. Lord, as you're purging and purifying us continually, that when you add multitudes, that the entire sanctuary, the entire church would be a true sanctuary. Holy people, holy nation, royal priesthood, your treasure. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord God. Lord, just looking at these things at a very cursory level, basic level, fundamental level. You see so much already, Lord. May our hearts be drawn to your presence as we continue to read to see your beauty, your majesty, your holiness and your high call on our lives, Lord, to be different, very different from the world, certainly, and even very different than we have been and perhaps we are now. To be all that you would be pleased with so that, Lord, when you appear, we'll be caught up together to be with you in a seamless transition, to dwell with you forever, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for giving us this great worth, Lord, value, and high calling, Lord. And I thank you that as we've been hearing, multitudes are waiting, Lord, come into your kingdom and the holier we are the greater effect our lives and our preaching will be to bring in the fish into your kingdom to bring in the sheaves rejoicing we thank you Lord oh Lord we thank you that holiness is the greatest asset we have in evangelism And Lord, your presence will draw people to yourself. Thank and praise you. In Jesus' name, bless your people today. Father, heal those who need healing yet, O God. Lord, lift up the spirits of those whose spirits are cast down. Father, may your grace rain upon the lives of those who seek you diligently. Prosper their way today, Lord. Prosper us all. Abba, Father, give us good success because we're seeking you first. We're seeking you early. You are everything, Lord. We thank and praise you. In Jesus' precious name. Amen.